What is going on, everyone? This is Miles with Windows Central Gaming, and welcome to the 55th episode of Xbox Chatter Days. Today, I am stoked to be joined once again by my good pal and host of the Xbox Expansion Pass, Luke Lore. Luke, how are you doing on this fine Saturday, my man? I'm doing fantastic now that we got it to work. I apologize for technical difficulties. We tried everything. We prayed to the gods. We did a, a little circle around. <laughs> we lit candles. Uh, and this is the best we got. Somehow I'm in widescreen. Never happened. Because um, I was coming in hot off another show. And I apologize to you, uh, Miles. But I'm ecstatic to be here with you. I, I love Chatterdays. It's a, a staple in my week. So cheers to you and everybody in chat. Apologies for me being late, guys. We got, yeah, we got a great show lined up. Um, yeah, Discord being just fantastic today. So for the people tuning in live, apologize for the slight delay, you know, fashionably late. Sorry about that. But um, all that aside, stoked to have you on because, you know, 2022 just keeps giving. It has been a stacked year full of huge gaming news. And this week has been no exception. So we're going to be diving into, you know, PlayStation buying Bungie. We're going to be diving into MLB The Show hitting Xbox Game Pass yet again. We're going to be talking about even more acquisitions because acquisition season seems to be running for uh, a couple of years at this point um, and so much more. But before we get into all of that, for all of the amazing folks listening, let the people know who you are and where they can find you. Of course. Uh, so my name's Luke Lore, uh, a.k.a. The Insipid Ghost. Uh, I host the Xbox Expansion Pass, which is a weekly Xbox show. Uh, dedicated to the goings-on of, of the Gamerverse as it pertains to the Xbox ecosystem. So if there's news relevant to PlayStation, we'll talk about how it impacts Xbox. I often feature voice actors and developers, industry equality advocates on the show uh, for interviews, and uh, that is an absolute pleasure. That's my favorite thing to do is to interview uh, voices within the industry uh, and developers, people who make the games that we enjoy so much, uh, to find out how they they practice their craft. So you can find that Again, on the Xbox Expansion Pass, all your podcast services, uh, including YouTube, though it's just a static image. Uh, it's not video produced. Um, but yeah, I'd mean the world if anybody would be willing to, to check it out, give it a go at if it's your speed and you enjoy it. Uh, like it, share it, subscribe it, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, that's me, man. Beautiful. All right, Luke. So you've been on the show before, but something that mm -hmm. I started doing with, with some returning guests is uh, this okay. this little game that I want to play with you. So... Before we dive into the game itself, I want you to pick your three favorite video games and or franchises, the ones that are most important to Luke Lore as, as a gamer. Okay, uh, easy. Uh, the Arkham franchise, easily yeah. uh, super close to my heart. I absolutely adore it. Uh, Halo is the next one. I, I love uh, Halo in all forms across the entirety of the franchise. Uh, and I think the last one is a bit more up for debate here and there. That depends upon my mood. Uh, but for today, we'll say God of War. Okay, of War so we have the Arkham series, we have Halo, and we have God of War 2018 mm -hmm. specifically. All right, here's where things get interesting, Luke. All right. So what I want okay. you to do with this list of games that are very important, very near and dear to your heart, is I want you to pick one that is eliminated off the face of the earth. That one is gone from existence. And then I want you to pick another one that everyone else in the world gets to play except for you. What does that list look like? Okay, if I'm eliminating one, I eliminate God of War because it's only one game versus the two franchises. Um, 
which is a shame because God of War, in my opinion, is the best game ever made. Uh, it's, it's a high statement, and I mean Ooh, that. Wow. Um, but okay. I do, I do, all right. I do eliminate it because we all enjoy chasing perfection, and uh, it's only one game. And the one that is eliminated, but for me, but everybody else gets to enjoy still. Yeah, so it still is is around. You just have to be on the sidelines and watch everyone else play it. Ooh, that hurts. Uh, <laughs> I, I will say Halo that everybody else gets to enjoy because there are many ways to enjoy Halo. And I think I could enjoy uh, the periphery of the storytelling and, and the art and a lot of that still. Uh, whereas with the Arkham series, I don't think I could ever give up the feeling of that first time I was Batman or returning to Arkham, etc. Um, so I will say that that is going to be my answer today. Um, but I, can I tell you what a blow it would be to lose Halo? Uh, despite my camera being widescreen, you can't see the majority of my room is dedicated to Halo. Um, that from the Mega Bloks, you know, Pelican behind me and the, the, the you know, anti-aircraft gun to the, the 20 years poster behind me over there. And I, I love and adore Halo. But yeah, as long as everyone else gets to enjoy it, I'm cool with that. Beautiful. And yeah, one of our big topics for today's show is going to be the, the current state of Halo. So again, I'm yeah, very nice. excited to have you on for that particular section because you are one of the biggest Halo fans that I know. Yeah. So, so that's interesting. Batman. So Batman is the one you would not give up playing yourself. Yeah. Yeah. There's something special about being a superhero. Uh, I love superhero games. Best to worst. Uh, I do play them all. Uh, the power fantasy and, and the idea of being a hero, hero is special to me, uh, and games can do that for you. And uh, Arkham did something special with Batman, uh, and it allowed Insomniac to do something very special with Spider-Man. Uh, and here's hoping we get to see that again with Superman and several other superheroes coming forward. I know Wonder Woman's in dev yeah. right now, and I know of one more that's in development, which I'm really excited for. And I, just, I hope that we see more superhero games. I love them. I love them. Let's go. Beautiful. Thanks for being a yeah. good sport. Appreciate you playing. Um, yeah, dude. Quick shout out to all the amazing people tuning in. I see familiar faces like you, Donnie, Silent Cypher, Mr. Joanna Dark. I see uh, nice. our good pal Jordan in the house. Appreciate y'all tuning in. Uh, we have so many great topics to get into. Um, first and foremost, um, some news that was pretty much buried this week because this week was mm -hmm. filled with big stories. And one of the first big stories of this week was the, the confirmation that MLB The Show 2022 mm -hmm. is launching day and date in Xbox Game Pass yet again in April. Um, obviously, mm -hmm. we'll, we'll talk about the other stuff that buried this particular news, but it was really fascinating to see this major tentpole baseball franchise coming back to Xbox Game Pass. Uh, it's, mm -hmm. it's a franchise that sells consistently well every year. It used to be a PlayStation exclusive. It's developed by a PlayStation studio, but clearly the publisher, which is MLB, sees value in bringing this, this series to Xbox Game Pass yet again. So I wanna get your thoughts on why you think this franchise decided to come back and kind of what this demonstrates to other bigger publishers when it comes to the, the value proposition of Xbox Game Pass. Well, I think it's coming back because clearly it was successful the first time out. Clearly they saw a boost in user base, uh, likely profits is the way that you would do that. You have to think that uh, when it first came to Game Pass last year, it was the MLB that was kind of pushing that to make that happen. Mm -hmm. Why are we yeah. isolating our, our, our reach for this game that is top tier best in class sports game, right? Um, the fact that it's coming to Game Pass again day and date shows that it was a success on some level. 
uh, and they want to continue reaping the benefits. We've also seen time and again that going on to Game Pass boosts sales of games, which uh, felt counterintuitive to say four years ago uh, when you know we first kind of were, were in the early stages of what Game Pass was. But now uh, it certainly seems that we have plenty of evidence that it continues to raise the reach of games, raise the ability of games to to bring in profits by way of microtransactions. Uh, and such, but also just if more people are talking about your game, more people are aware and willing to take the dive. Game Pass has that suite, you get X amount, X percentage off if you purchase it. So if it's going to be leaving Game Pass, you purchase it ahead of time, you own the game for a cheaper price. Um, and I think that's just an incentive for, for any third-party publisher or publisher of a, of a brand that they want to have more reach to go into Game Pass. So I think that's why you're seeing it happen. Uh, I think it's a great thing for baseball fans because the Xbox... Uh, fan base didn't have a true simulation based uh, baseball game and MLB the show as I said best in class so why not win-win exactly it's it's fascinating to kind of see the the saga of MLB the show unfold for Xbox fans because it was it was particularly interesting that the first time this series was ever coming to Xbox that it launched day and date in Xbox Game Pass and that's right. a huge way to kind of bolster the the attach rate of this series which has been associated to PlayStation. There are people mm -hmm. in in the casual space who would buy PlayStations to play MLB the show. So for a lot of us in the the kind of I guess quote unquote hardcore gamer scene, we probably don't really care about MLB the show all that much. Mm -hmm. But Xbox seems to be setting this precedent that um, Xbox Game Pass is for your, your casual audience as well mm -hmm. as your hardcore audience. So titles like MLB The Show are coming. Uh, we've seen titles like FIFA, other big sports games coming to Xbox Game Pass. And now with the development of the Activision Blizzard news, there's going to be a mm -hmm. world where we have Call of Duty in Xbox Game Pass as well. So mm -hmm. there's going to be this, this future where Xbox Game Pass is going to cater to that, well, <laughs> the cliche kind of gamer bro. The, the bro who mm -hmm. plays MLB The Show, Madden, and Call of Duty every year. And that, those are the only games they play. That kind of stereotypical, I, th I think, honestly, probably kind of mythical gamer at this point. But yeah. I think Xbox Game Pass really understands how to tap into that casual audience. So certainly, what other gaps do you think Xbox Game Pass needs to fill before it truly becomes the ultimate subscription service because clearly they want the service to be for everyone no matter what you play they want to have something in game pass for you so what what mm -hmm. are the gaps right now with game pass well it certainly feels like the ultimate subscription service anyway right now given that bethesda and ea access and, and so many others are are arriving consistently in there and they're they're showing a propensity to bring third-party deals in but the biggest gap they have in their catalog uh, not just their Game Pass catalog, but their Xbox Game Studio catalog is a fighter. They do not have a fighter, and PlayStation has become synonymous with fighting games by way of uh, purchasing Evo and having Street Fighter V be exclusive on their platform. I'm curious to know if that happens again for the inevitable Street Fighter VI. Uh, but a fighter is needed for Microsoft franchises or to be represented, whether that's Killer Instinct or some sort of you know, platform brawler, they certainly do need to have a fighting game in their, their pantheon of games, without a doubt. And so uh, I think that's the biggest gap for sure. Um, they've managed to fill the sports gap pretty well by way of having EA access and mm -hmm. uh, whether that's, you know, ranging from UFC to, to FIFA and Madden, etc. But the war for content, not consoles is showing that if we have a gap, we want to 
see that 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 fan base is satiated later on. So uh, I think you'll see a fighter come out in the next three years uh, at some point. I know nothing, by the way, I'm not an insider on on these things to any of the listeners that don't know. Insider confirms. Yeah. I'm really good at making thumbnails with shocked faces though. You know, (laughs) but uh, no, I do not know, but I do think we'll see a fighter at some point because that's the game that's missing right now from, from their, their catalog. Yeah. Uh, you, what do you think they're missing? I, I agree. I would love to see a fighting game. I mean, they ha- what frustrates me about the fighting game conversation is they have Killer Instinct and they brought back Killer Instinct and it kicked ass. Killer Instinct was so damn good. And they put out mm-hmm. all these amazing characters. They had a couple of great seasons and then they just mm-hmm. dropped it like it was hot and haven't touched it. Um, and they've they've kind of talked publicly about, you know, trying to find a team that specializes in fighting games to kind of spearhead killer instinct. And I'm sure that's something mm. they're working on. There have been rumblings from certain quote unquote insiders who say that, yeah, maybe Microsoft has already found the studio that's going to be working on killer instinct and potentially that's mm. already in the works. Um, mm-hmm. I, I can't say for sure. I haven't heard seen anything that confirms that, but that's some of the speculation right now. Um, but, oh my God, with all of the, with, with question, real talk, do you think gamers outside of like content creators who specialize in Xbox, do you think people really want killer instinct? Like the masses, you know, like street fighters known to the masses, mortal Kombat has done a great job of being known to the masses. Non-gamers know mortal Kombat. Do you think killer instinct still has that reach? It could get there. The problem with Killer Instinct is it wasn't like Mortal Kombat where there was a Mortal Kombat every few years. They were just pumping out Mortal Kombat. And there was a period of time where most of those Mortal Kombats were were bad, honestly. Mm -hmm. But when they came back with Mortal Kombat 9 and kind of reset the foundation, it was still in people's minds. And then they just put out a mission statement that said, hey, Mortal Kombat's really damn good again. And we're going to keep making Mortal Kombat really good. And when Killer Instinct came back, it kind of set that tone. But the problem was it had been so long. It had been so many years since we had a Killer Instinct game that it didn't have that Mortal Kombat level of kind of engagement. So Mm -hmm. if you start incorporating crossovers, let's I'll paint a picture for you of how they get this out and get people excited about it. We saw crossovers with Halo. We had the Arbiter in Killer mm-hmm. Instinct season two. Lean into that more. Lean into your yes. big, lean lean into uh, Doom Slayer. Get, get Doom Slayer as a playable character in Killer Instinct. Leverage mm-hmm. these other massive franchises you have under the Xbox banner and make Killer Instinct kind of this Xbox fighting game. Not just, mm-hmm. not just Killer Instinct, but this is a fighting game that represents all of the best of Xbox. Um, and I mm-hmm. think that would be a great way to pull people in because, you know, I know like big fighting people like Maximilian love Killer Instinct and have been shouting from the rooftops to bring Killer Instinct back. Um, mm-hmm. They need to. They they really need to because I totally agree. They don't have a fighting game. We don't have a platform fighter. We don't have a 2D fighter. We don't have any fighting games in the on the Xbox kind of first party side. And, and that's, right. that's a big bummer. Um, I think... I saw some people in the chat mention JRPGs. I think that's another obvious gap that they have. And they've been doing a good job leaning into indies, I think, with Game Pass. There's mm-hmm. been some pretty cool uh, indie standouts. Edge of Eternity is coming out, and that looks pretty interesting for people who want a, a decent JRPG. But I think mm-hmm. their biggest gap is must-play family-oriented titles. We don't have yeah. we don't have a Mario Kart equivalent. We don't have a Mario Party equivalent. We don't even have like mm-hmm. a, a 3D platformer equivalent, even though they're sitting on 
uh, Banjo-Kazooie. Now they're going to be sitting mm -hmm. on, you know, Crash Bandicoot, Spyro. So there's a lot of mm -hmm. potential there, but we haven't had anything worthwhile in that camp in a long time. We can look at Psychonauts 2. I think Psychonauts 2 is a fantastic 3D platformer. I don't think it's quite as like universal though. I think a lot of I, hardcore players yeah. love it, but I don't think your five-year-old kid is going to pick up Psychonauts 2 and be able to have fun with that in the same way. I, I agree. I think with Psychonauts 2, you have fantastic gameplay, um, but it's a bit too high concept. For yeah, it's, a it's heady. It's, it's a heady story. Yeah, and, and some of those, the imagery in that is is disturbing, right? They even give you a warning if you don't like teeth, you know, at the very Oh, yeah, that's game, right. You the, know? What's the name um, of the fear of teeth? They, they list it. I totally forget. They, yeah, something phobia. I know that. Yeah, something phobia. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, the, the idea that they do need something that is approachable, family-based. They do need a fighter. Um, they do have gaps in their catalog. And one thing that, that no one can critique xbox game studios in its current state is there's not a lack of studios or talent mm -hmm. uh, they've got the ip they've got the studios well, the best part about studios is we tend to think of them as just studios but those studios have multiple teams within them a good example is obsidian they have the grounded team the avowed team and i think there's one more in there um, a lot of them have multiple teams that that keep the studio philosophy but can work on multiple projects and i think that's really important to do to avoid burnout insomniac taught uh PlayStation users this a lot when they had Ratchet and Clank as well as the Spider-Man games and now Wolverine. And and when it when studios have more than just one franchise they work on, I think it helps foster creativity. And all signs point to that being a thing that Microsoft is embracing going yes. forward. Let the studio culture enjoy. And it'll be really interesting a year and a half from now to watch how Activision uh, is allowed to Activision's you know studios are allowed to explore this this idea. You're not all going to be Call of Duty support. You're not all going to be isolated to this one franchise. And um, I think Toys for Bob is the easy one to say, but yeah. who knows what, what Treyarch wants to do that's not a, a military shooter? Who knows what Infinity Ward is going to work on after they put out Modern Warfare 2 this year, which is you know, conjecture, but come on. You know, yeah, it's, like, it's what are they, what is, yeah, like what else do they want to do? And that's the exciting part for me. And um, I hope that all the major players, Nintendo, PlayStation, Xbox, if they do purchase and acquire things they allow that creativity to foster because we only benefit right exactly you know, 15 bucks a month play it all let's go yeah let's all get our cups and drink some of that xbox game pass kool-aid um mm -hmm. because really what that allows these teams to do is there's not that financial fear when it comes to revisiting certain ip because the reason a lot of AAA game development has become arguably so stagnant in recent years is there's this huge financial risk every time you go back to the well and revisit a franchise. Has it been too long? Will this sell? Do people want it? How do we reinvent the formula without losing what people love about the originals? And people are too afraid to take risks a lot of the time, and therefore they put out this game that is on the safer side, but that doesn't pull in new fans, and that doesn't mm -hmm. quite satiate longtime fans either and now with the the kind of financial flexibility of a a service like xbox game pass these teams can experiment they can they can really say all right how do we revisit something like banjo kazooie or even mm -hmm. voodoo vince how do we revisit yeah. something like that and make it modern let's 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 really dig into what this is and if you give the team like kind of carte blanche to take that idea and and run with it chances are they're going to be way more excited about the project and and probably whip up something that's 
little more fun and a little more unexpected. And I think that's really cool. And I think, you know, that's what excites me most right now about Xbox's future is that that flexibility to take those risks. And we, we know Microsoft has a ton of money. They're pulling in a ton of revenue from gaming, all their other divisions. And so it's exciting to me that they are willing to use that money to actually do something interesting as opposed to, mm-hmm. let's say, what Activision has been doing and, and saying, all right, well, we know Call of Duty makes money, so we're just going to do Call of Duty every single year. Mm-hmm. No matter what, we are putting out a Call of Duty. I don't care what it takes. I don't care how many people we need to put on Call of Duty. We're putting out a Call of Duty every year. And to me, that's right. that's not that interesting. And I feel like I have to imagine for the teams that are like in that environment, it's it's probably a lot of pressure and not a lot of creativity because it's not mm-hmm. about necessarily doing something fresh and exciting and new. It's about making sure that this Call of Duty comes out. And again, like you touched on, I think that's going to open up a lot of possibilities with Activision's kind of back catalog. My day job, of course, is a teacher and we see a lot of teacher burnout and people leaving the profession. And it mimics a lot of what my hobbies interests are, which is video games. And you see a lot of people that are pushed and forced into this one category and they don't stick around in gaming for very long. And I think if you allow them to flex just a little bit, uh, we see positivity. I mean, you mentioned Voodoo Vince uh, a few moments ago and um, I'll, I'll self plug a bit. I, I had Clayton Kozlarik, the guy who, who worked on that game, right? Like he made that game around the time that it was remastered. He, he came on XEP and we talked about it and, open to the idea of a comeback for it. You know, that's yeah. one of Phil's games yeah. as well. Is Voodoo Vince one that people would jump into? I don't know, but on a service <laughs> like Game Pass, you know, maybe you're not spending 60, 70 bucks seeing at Target, but on Game Pass, family-friendly, boom, Voodoo Vince. That's the right delivery method. And when you have the financial support of, uh, of a, a subscription service, it's not a cost to the user in the same way. I think that's the exact place for a game like Voodoo Vince 2 or whatever else is next for them. And uh, I want to see teams be creative. You can have X or Call of Duty every year now by way of Warzone, you know, by way of a few of the other live service models and still let those teams breathe. Because when they couldn't yeah. breathe, uh, I think that's why you heard some of these horror stories that were coming out of it, uh, along with poor leadership and pipeline uh, bottlenecking, which I think is a lot of the problems in a lot of industries is where you bottleneck your pipelines uh, and COVID certainly did not help, you know, when you had to move massive files for people to work on different builds of yep. things. But uh, that will no, that's no longer acceptable as we enter into 2022. Companies that want to launch AAA games should have a need to adapt to that work from home model uh, in a way that they were allowed to be forgiven for in 2020 and, and perhaps 2021 as well. No longer is that a built in excuse because it's the reality they face if they want to keep making that product. And that's, that's tough, right? Like that's tough. That sounds so mean and cruel to say, but if, if you want to produce, you have to support your employees to be able to produce. Exactly. Exactly. And I've, I've been very vocal about, you know, what I expect from Microsoft post acquisition because again, mm-hmm. they're spending seventy billion dollars to buy this company, mm-hmm. so I have to hold them accountable to treating their employees and the employees of Activision Blizzard with uh, better care than they've been given. So, uh, sure. Again, we'll have to wait to see how that all plays out. But those are that's my expectations there, and uh, you know, I want to. Again, this is me just being a you know a, a dreamer, if you will. But you know, I I just 
I hate hearing stories of people who go into the gaming industry with all all the best intentions, all this mm -hmm. passion, and just get completely chewed up and spit out. I I worked in yeah. the film industry for a little bit. I went to school for audio production. Um, out of college, I you know was excited and excited about the industry and wanted to work on movies. And so I did mm -hmm. you know different internships, did a bunch of freelance work, um, mm -hmm. and it was kind of miserable. Like the 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 inconsistencies there and the people willing to exploit your passions for, for exposure or absolutely garbage pay. Um, mm -hmm. it really, it, it turned me off. I, after a couple of years of that, I, I completely got out of working in film. I had no interest. Yeah. I was so disenfranchised with the entire process, um, that it just, it really made me not want to do it. So when I hear people share those experiences for me, it, it, it just kind of, there's extra weight to it because I've, I've been there in, in some capacity. I know what that feels like to be excited, be passionate and have someone to take advantage of that passion and exploit your work for for their game. So yeah. it stinks. It stinks. I'm going to get to uh, some super chats here and give a quick shout out to the 145 people hanging with us on this fine Saturday. If you are digging the show, hit that like button, share it out, feed the insatiable YouTube algorithm. Um, let's get to some super chats here. We got Yo Donnie who says, who is the best metal band and why is it Nickelback? <laughs> ah, okay. So are you a big well, Nickelback fan? Are you a big, just tell me it's okay. No, no, but I do like that one song from Spider-Man one hero. That's Our hero one like. can save. <laughs> yeah. I recently watched that film for reasons that should be obvious. And I like that song. Not going to stand here and wait. Uh, yes, Nickelback. Mm -hmm. I don't hate them. Like, I know it's the meme to absolutely hate them. I don't like them very much, but um, yep. I would not say they're the best metal band. Do you listen to metal at all, Luke? Not really, no. Like, Linkin Park is probably the closest I get to metal per yeah. se oh I mean, actually i've been doing no this isn't metal like three days grace and yeah that's and hard that's hard Breaking rock Benjamin. bro yeah i hard rock i, I do metal okay. <laughs> i can't i can't uh jump into here's to all of you that do though it's not a, it's not a diss i just don't have the ear for it yeah it's um i've i've gone down deep down that rabbit hole side tangent it's just i won't get too in, into it but um there was a period of time where I was just getting deeper and heavier and darker and trying to find the heaviest, most disgusting music that I could possibly find. So nice. I've, I've been okay. down there, been down there. Uh, Silent Probably when he worked in the film industry, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Silent Cypher, appreciate you powering through the tech difficulties to still bring us this awesome show. Cheers, guys. Silent Cypher, nice. appreciate you hanging out. Appreciate you tuning in, showing your support. Um, Mr. Joanna Dark says hello to Miles, the goat Dompierre, and the awesome host of Fear on Tap. Luke, it is great to see you back on the show. Happy to hang with the community. Yeah, it's Thanks, good. To, good, good to have Luke back because we got to talk about some Halo, Luke. Last time you were on, we we talked about Halo, and mm -hmm. you know it's this ongoing saga of of passion, as mm -hmm. with any big franchise that people love. People mm -hmm. are very passionate about what they expect, what they want, and what they don't want. And sure. even since launch, um, there's been a lot of passionate conversations. Obviously, 
going into the release of Halo Infinite. There was a lot of controversy. There was a lot of opinions about the graphics, the gameplay, the open world design, blah, blah, you name it. What, whatever there sure. was to discuss, there was a huge raging takes on either, either side there. Mm -hmm. And so now that the game is a few months out, I wanna talk about kind of where you stand with the kind of current state of, of Halo Infinite. And sure. before we get into a lot of the specifics, What's your Halo schedule looking like? Are you still jumping on with the squad every night and, and getting some rounds in? Not every night, but several times a week. Absolutely, yes. Um, I, I personally, I find it hard to play PvP at the end of a workday because uh, I just get trounced. <laughs> so I'm a morning player if I like to do PvP. Um, but I think, uh, yeah, I'm jumping in pretty regularly, three, four times a week for sure. Uh, enjoying a lot of what they're doing to to handle the idea that season one is so long, they're doing a lot of events. And I think that's a really smart way to, to balance out the idea that, okay, I'm not progressing my battle pass anymore, but I am progressing an event pass pretty regularly. There's fractures. There's the, um, they just did the cyberpunk style one recently. Mm -hmm. I think we have a shadow ops or something like that coming up soon. Um, consistently having events is a really smart, fun way to feel like I'm contributing to something now that I'm, I'm maxed out on my battle pass. So, I'm really pleased with with that part of it for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's nice to have the events to fill some of those gaps because um mm -hmm. yeah, I went really really hard on Halo mm -hmm. Infinite when it first launched and I kind of blasted through the the battle pass. So, it's been probably over a month since I was level 100 in that. So, mm -hmm. it's nice to have those events that keep me coming back. Obviously, the game's fun. The game plays tight, it feels good, and for a lot of people that should be enough. Um but in the the modern landscape and how we've been kind of programmed and how our, our little lizard brains have been programmed, um, mm -hmm. I want the rewards. It's not it's not just about playing anymore. I gotta I gotta get something for playing, and so those sure. events have been a nice way to kind of fill that gap. And I'll, I'll take mm -hmm. a week off, and then an event will will kind of pull me back in, and I'll, I'll you know mm -hmm. find myself playing a couple nights a week. Um, mm -hmm. Because yeah, when this game first came out, I was playing every single day every mm -hmm. day for hours and hours like absolutely loving it and then in the last i don't know three four weeks i haven't really been jumping in um the sure. events the events will you know pull me in for a, a few rounds but even those i'm not like powering through all the levels of the events in the same way and so mm -hmm. obviously season one's very long season one is yeah. is six months ahead of launch they talked about each season being roughly three months and then mm -hmm. they also told us that in January, we were supposed to get kind of a roadmap of what to expect from the rest of season one and into season two and things like that. And then last week we got confirmation that they need more time to finalize the roadmap. So we're not going to get right. the roadmap in January. Hopefully we get that soon. Uh, mm -hmm. And then there's been other kind of compounding issues like big team battle. Big team battle sure. is my favorite mode. And mm -hmm. I haven't played it in weeks and weeks. I know they put out mm -hmm. an update, a patch this week, and I haven't honestly checked it out to see if it did improve it. But it's feeling good. Okay, feeling good. That, that's good to hear because I was mm -hmm. so bummed because that was my favorite mode, and I wouldn't even queue to match make it because it was so right. inconsistent, so many disconnects. And sure, in contrast to the launch, which I feel Halo Infinite had the best big multiplayer launch in. I don't know, recent history at the very least. It was so smooth. I was so yeah. shocked that I wasn't getting disconnected constantly. I like I went the first week without having a single disconnect from a match. And that was that blew my mind. I didn't think that was possible in this landscape anymore. 
and they came right. out and did it. And it seems like since then it's just deteriorated, which is which is odd. So outside of fixes to matchmaking, outside of you know some of the stuff we touched on previously, mm-hmm. what what are your biggest hopes in terms of the the cadence of content drops for seasons two and three? So. I think we need to take a step back for for a couple reasons. Uh, there's two Halo Infinites, right? They run from the same client, but you have the single player and the multiplayer, and a lot of that is tied, and it matters very differently to different people which one should be prioritized, right? Um, I think we should we should recognize several factors here. One, 20 million players at the gate is a, is a great number for huh? a franchise that, uh, in its last first-person debut, uh, I think really disappointed a lot of people. Halo Five did a lot of things well, but it really let down in a lot of ways in terms of a franchise when it stands yeah. next to peers in its genre. Um, and so, to come back and have a twenty million player, uh, twenty million players check it out, try it out, and uh, enjoy Halo again is fantastic. It's wonderful. I also think we need to applaud their cadence of communication better than any yeah. other live service game right now. They are communicating. Right from from the bottom of the barrel communication abilities like Avengers up through through Destiny's Bungie or Bungie's Destiny um, to Call of Duty uh, Vanguard and Warzone and they're doing a good job communicating. Here's what we are are prioritizing. Here's what we are not. Um, fixes seem to be regular, identifying and letting people know. All right, here's what we're letting down on. We can see the data. This isn't working. Um, things like the shop. You know that that the the cost and the cosmetics in the shop were pulled from the on high from from the bean counters and whatnot and i'm very confident and then i'm going to throw it a lot of the developers were like pushing back like that's not going to work they needed data to show it and once yes. they had the data it's been out for x amount of time this shop these prices no one's going to get into that change it once they had the data to show it now changes are coming and i think that's par for the course with triple a live service games as a service development so that needs to be applauded and appreciated they're adjusting things like big team battle um that said they do need to to continue with these events in order to satiate a crowd that wants that lizard brain. Uh, we've been trained. We want to reward every time. Mm-hmm. They've adapted the battle pass. The reason you blew through the battle pass, which you weren't intended to do, is because they adjusted it because everyone complained about it. And so I appreciate their listening to communication. Um, a lot of people will jump out, well, it's not acceptable. It's been in development for six years. They, had, they clearly had some restarts on that, which is par for the course when you want to restart. And if you're trying to get it right on a reboot, I want them to get it right. And that campaign was a joy to play. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we need to cheers to that. Um, they created an engine in the Slipspace engine, which is meant to provide for years and, and will likely provide outside of Halo as well. Um, to answer your specific question, as I go very long-winded here, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, it's all- um, <laughs> Seasons two and three need to have a a better sense of progression and reward uh cosmetics are are continuously being updated for this game and they seem to be adjusting things it looks like we're going to have different uh models of spartan right to 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 try and complete and and flesh things out on from reach all the way through the the samurai styles but the the show should bring new models in maybe one of the seasons is is specced around the show or some events are specced around the show for show style cosmetics and I think that's really cool. I think they learned a lot from Master Chief Collection. I think they learned a lot about what unlocks mean to players and how to let a battle pass be available to you. Uh, players that jump in for Season 2, if they've got more inviting things for people in Season 2, you can still unlock the battle pass for Season 1. and um, That's really cool. So I expect once Season 2 hits, 
then we're truly seeing the intention of what they want Halo Infinite's multiplayer to be. Um, I'm a bit forgiving because of all the, the frustrations, all the things uh, that they've dealt with as 343, as well as COVID, uh, and launching a system and then delaying a game for a year. They've shown they want Halo to succeed. They have shown us that. Um, and it's in season two that I will be expecting the absolute best of the best. They've got the product out there. Now they need to refine it. Um, season two is where we're really going to need to see it happen. But the nice thing about this, Miles, is while they're figuring it out with season one, they they got really lucky that Call of Duty Vanguard is is not what people wanted it to be. That Battlefield 2042 is not what people wanted it to be. Uh, they got really lucky that those two kind of heavy hitters that launched in that same window didn't hit hard. Uh, Crossfire X does not seem to be like it's going to be landing in, in a big space. I mean, Remedy's being slow to get codes out there. There's very little uh, popular, you know, like spotlight on that yeah. and publicity no. for that. Um, so it looks like Halo's got the breathing room to get these fixes in and people will come back. People will check it out. But 20 million, nothing to sneeze at. I'm really happy with it. Um, there's things that we all want and deserve as player bases. And it looks like the developers want and deserve those things as well. Yeah, it's it's really fascinating to kind of look at Halo Infinite as this platform. So when you look at the fundamentals, they did pretty much everything that they needed to do. They had a game that played well, they had a game that looked good, and they had a game that kind of reinvented a lot of what people love about Halo while still introducing stuff that makes it feel modern and pulls in new players. So like you said, 20 million, that is a huge number of people playing Halo Infinite. Uh, you have to imagine the free-to-play multiplayer is is a huge factor, and and that is something that they haven't really done on that scale ever when it comes to like a humongous budget free-to-play game. And so obviously there were going to be some learning curves with monetization. Obviously they didn't, in my opinion, get monetization right out of the gate. Uh, we don't know what the conversations looked like behind the scenes, why they decided those things, but there were a lot of fair criticisms about the value and what what that game expected from you financially and what it rewarded you for your investments into it so like you said they are addressing that they are fixing that i have to imagine that this this extended season one is basically just like a six-month research gathering um <laughs> mission it's you know mm -hmm. the game is officially out but season one to me feels like kind of just this long ex super extended beta if i'm being just kind of right. blunt about and that's not to downplay what the what the full product was. I didn't have a huge amount of complaints. But that being said, it, it's clear to me that season one has just been about figuring out the habits of their players and how to incorporate that in future seasons. Mm -hmm. That being said, I'm hoping with seasons two and three outside of co-op and forge, which fingers crossed that those are still on track for seasons two and three. Uh, we'll, we'll see. Mm -hmm. They have kind of alluded to the idea of maybe that not happening in in, mm -hmm. in in subtle ways but i really want to see more consistent maps i think that is my biggest frustration right now is that season one is six months and at this point i'm kind of getting the feeling that we might go six months without a new map which mm -hmm. for a quote-unquote games as a service title and a title that mm -hmm. is driven by engagement that's kind of wild i because i you know i knew the the package of maps at launch was going to be tight and small but I was kind of expecting that they were doing that so they could have every month or every other month a, a map drop. And that map sure. drop would kind of 
pull people back in and get people excited, which I think is is kind of the, the right approach to keeping that engagement up and keeping me coming back. Because if you put a new map in, I'm going to play it. Like the events are cool and the cosmetics are cool, but I don't want to only play the game just to get those cosmetics. And then as soon as that event is gone, be like, eh, I'm tired of these maps. And that's kind of what I've been mm -hmm. doing is I'll play for the events and then I won't play until there's another event again. So I really mm -hmm. think they need to increase the cadence of maps. Even if you're not dropping a ton of modes, we really need some headliner every other month at the very least. So in the time since it launched, they launched it a little bit early after kind of doing the beta stuff, right? And then the team put the game out there and then they went on holiday, which I, I would imagine deserved. Right. Uh, yes, I mean, they, well, they well, really well filed. deserved. Cannot right. fault them for taking time off. Right. And in returning for January, they had big team battles to fix. They had to clean up probably bugs and issues from all the data they gathered over holiday when they just got slammed and slammed with server with with server pings. I think now that we're in early February, you're correct. Now that now that the focus has probably calmed down for that team, they've been able to catch their breath and recover mm -hmm. mentally, emotionally. I think you should see a map or two here and there. I mean, you've you, we've seen Fiesta, which I, I mean, that's an old mode, but into their game. Mm -hmm. Attrition was a new mode. Seems really cool. Uh, fixing big team battle was, was a big, big thing they needed to do. Um, yeah, now that now that some of these things have been squashed, it's time to to start rotating in a new map here and there to maybe bring a new weapon or two in or a vehicle in. Yeah, and they've got a sandbox to play in. It's time to start letting us play in it in a different way uh, for sure. And so I, I think you're correct. They do need to have some stuff. I just think that since it launched, there are a lot of things we can point to as to why we didn't get it. But that is going away. Like you don't get another holiday. You know what I mean? Like those yes. things are, yeah, you're done now with that. So yeah, a good point and well-made, I think. Yeah. Again, like a lot of people were very angry and vocal shortly after launch. And, I knew that the team basically was shipping this game, spending a week to make sure it was okay, and then taking some well-deserved time off. So mm -hmm. I wasn't going to scream at them over the holiday break to to fix Halo Infinite or give me this or that. But again, now that we are, you know, they're back from holidays, they've had a good month to settle in. Now mm -hmm. I think it's it's worthwhile to kind of start looking at the Halo package and saying, mm -hmm. all right, what what's what is the future look like, and what is the cadence that we can expect from this game? Um, because again, well, you, you this, talked about multiplayer where single player is another factor of this. Yeah. Sing, exactly. Yeah. yeah. We, we don't know. We don't know when the, the single player like campaign drops. We don't know what to expect for that. They again, I'm not going to spoil the ending for people who haven't played it, but they clearly and obviously set up more campaign. Like it's not even mm -hmm. subtle. The fact that like, OK, we're going to go do this and that's the end of the game. And you're like, OK, cool. Um, obviously mm -hmm. there's more, more campaign coming. We don't know what that cadence looks like. Is it going to be destiny where once a year we have a big seasonal drop that's focused mm -hmm. on some new, new big baddie, or is it going to be longer? Or are we, are we waiting years and years for the next one? So again, a lot of fans were hopeful for that roadmap in January. And hopefully when that does come out, they, they have a lot of good details and kind of my main hope with this is that the, it kind of satiates the the very vocal people who are unhappy because there's there's a group of people very unhappy with halo infinite right now and there i mean to be frank there's going to be a group of people who are probably always unhappy with halo infinite but um mm -hmm. a lot of these people are hardcore fans and some of their criticisms when you know presented in a in a nice way 
um, mm-hmm. are valid. There's definitely some valid criticisms of how they've been handling this games as a service approach. And I, I want to believe that moving forward, they've learned some lessons and we'll see a more consistent Halo Infinite on the single player and multiplayer side moving forward. Or campaign side, because you better give me co-op. I swear to God, if that mm-hmm. if that gets delayed again, ooh, I'm going to... Mm-hmm. Again, not to be an entitled gamer, but... Well, there are certain promises they made, certain ones that are understandable they couldn't fulfill, certain ones that are not understandable, uh, and timelines can be can be difficult, and I think we can be forgiving as a community for sure, um, because you know Halo, like Star Wars for me, all Star Wars is good Star Wars in my mind. There, there's a tier system, but I love it all. <laughs> I will always love Halo, right? Um, if I'm willing to play the twin stick shooters, you know, like I, I love Halo. Um, but there, there are some things that they need to address and they know they need to address it. And I appreciate their communication about it. They're saying, yes. hey, this is what we're working on. This is what we need to work on. This is still a top priority. This is not as much a priority, but we know we need to do it. Um, and to me, 343 in this, this, I don't know that it's new, but it's publicly new. They're, this new kind of approach they've made has been what I think all games as a service model communication should be. Yeah. Here's our priority list. This is what we're working on. This we were working on. It's not working. What we're trying is not going well. So it's being moved to this. Um, that is good, right? That is better than no communication. I'm part of a, a another community that really loves a live service game that's not beloved and their communication is trash. It's terrible. It's frustrating. And what happens? People turn on them. I think if 343 can continue to speak to the masses then the masses will be understanding there will always be people who are vocally dissident and frustrated and Mm -hmm. they have every right to be frustrated but at the end of the day if you're not playing it there's but that's it like there are other games go play other games and come back when you're ready and no one should feel bad about that by the way like you were saying you're not logging into halo as much and i know you don't feel this but like no one should feel bad if it's if it's yeah. not speaking to you at the moment. There's a lot to play. There's a, yeah, there's a lot to mm-hmm. play right now. And and yeah, to 343 Industries credit to end this on on a positive note here is they've done an excellent job communicating. And across mm-hmm. the board, really, Xbox teams, Sea of Thieves in particular, I think set the the expectation for these games as a service mm-hmm. titles with Xbox first party because they were incredibly vocal. And mm-hmm. what I love about that is even if it's even if it's not good news. Um, communicating that is still important because if you're going to mm-hmm. tell people the reason why something isn't happening, that makes it so they can't fill in the gaps. Because if if something mm-hmm. bad happens and you don't say anything, people are going to fill mm-hmm. in those gaps as to, oh man, maybe this happened. And they're going to kind of whittle out these conspiracies and and fill in the narrative and make it as negative as they want it to be. But 343 Industries, again, it, it has been willing to have those hard conversations with its community and say, hey, sorry, we we know you want this. We get that you want this. We just can't mm-hmm. do it in the timeline that we would like. And so I've right. respected that again, like as a as a leader of a company and a team like that, it's important to be able to come out and and have a say something that's going to make people upset. And and mm-hmm. again, I, I respect that because too, too often we eliminate the entire human element of making video games. We think that mm-hmm. video game development is this machine, this all these cogs in a machine and they're they're there the sole purpose to make a game for me to make me happy and Mm -hmm. sure on some level yeah that's a a business is a machine designed to make money and by making people happy you can make money but also there are a bunch of people who are just getting just blasted online every Mm -hmm. single day by people who are mad about halo and i don't think that's the right approach 
I think it's mm-hmm. perfectly healthy to have conversations about what frustrates you and what you want to see. Um, but we got to remember that there are human beings involved here and it doesn't have to mm-hmm. be this really aggressive, ugly uh, conversation. That's that's a conversation you and, I have, you and I have had publicly and privately often across a number of different shows and everything is forgetting that people make these things and they make them for enjoyment. And there is a business side, of course, but too often because of anonymity on the internet, we, we are so quick to critique as opposed to celebrate. I had a wonderful conversation with Ty Guy Travis, YGN, which, which is going on the next XEP. We talked about dying light towards the end and he's further along than I am. The first thing we found ourselves doing is saying what we didn't like about it, but we both love Dying Light 2. It's fantastic. It's so much fun. There's so much to enjoy in it. And we, it's just a habit that I think as gamers and people with, with, you know, we can 140 characters shoot this message out. Mm-hmm. We tend to say, all right, I'm not liking this thing as opposed to, yeah, the voice acting is really good here. The vistas are beautiful. It's really fun to parkour. Um, I mean, I, I could wax poetic about how much fun the grapple hook in halo infinite is right like give me titanfall mode where it just recharges perfectly in multiplayer. yeah oh please, that is my dream a, a grapple hook just as a permanent starting item in halo infinite oh ooh. let me let me let me let me ruin your your future of halo uh larger map maybe a btb map or something maybe a little more open where they drop mantises in and you have permanent uh, grapple hooks as a thing. You're playing Titanfall three, baby. There yeah, let's go. go baby. There you let's go. Let's do it. Limited time mode with partnered with respawn. Let's do it. You know, that'd be so much fun. Oh, come on. And I like the grapple hook and the ability to throw plasma canisters in Halo oh, Infinite man. are two of two things that immediately jumped up to like the most fun mechanics in any video game ever. Like, they never got boring ever. Right there now. Here, here's one. No, I'm, I'm doing it now. I'm talking all these things I like. And I don't know how to get a perfect kill with a commando. That's my biggest critique. There's an achievement for it. And I can't do it, Miles. Oh, come I've done on. tried. You got to you you feather that trigger, dude. You got to just it's, kiss it's a, it. Just just kiss it. Just a little touch, touch. Okay. Yeah, just if you fully okay. automatic, it, it kicks up. And if you want to do that, the pro strat is start at the center of their chest and just hold the trigger. Okay. And as it bounces up, like the fourth shot will be a headshot and they'll die. So that is, okay. you either feather it on their head exclusively, or you aim at their che- the center of their chest and hold the trigger and just wait for the recoil to bounce up to their head. That is, okay. I, at first, I did not get the commando. I, I was really frustrated. I was like, this thing is garbage compared to the VR. It's garbage mm-hmm. compared to the pistol. It's garbage <laughs> compared to the assault rifle. Why on earth would anybody use it? And then, once it hit, oh, you're taking people down fast. So, really? so fast. Okay. Yeah, so that's... so. That's the meta of the commando. So I need to, what is the phrase, get good? Yes, I, I would get recommend getting good. good. That's your main problem ah, right now, is you're really you. bad at Halo, and that's that's it. Thank you. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Good. One, one, two O's or just a U? U, you yes, okay, absolutely. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Underlined. Here we are. There we go. <laughs> All right. So, so speaking of Halo... So speaking of Halo, there's been a, a small development involving the, the creators of Halo this week. And, and I feel oh. like we, we got to touch on that a little bit because there's a little, some interesting tidbits and a little, little anecdotal stuff we can talk about. But the long and short of it is that PlayStation, of all people, has announced that they are acquiring Bungie for 3.6 
billion dollars. So we are. They should have owned Master Chief now. So yeah, unfortunately, the reality is now PlayStation owns Halo, and that is the ultimate counterattack to Xbox. Mm -hmm. Rest in peace, Halo Infinite. All future content for Halo Infinite stop support on Xbox Fun. now. So Fun. it's sorry, done. we had a good run, good couple months, yeah. but that's just that's the reality. But in all what seriousness, a good response. <laughs> what? Um, in all seriousness, this this news was pretty big. Quite frankly, yeah. a little surprising. Um, so before we talk and talk about all the the the, the different elements of this and all the, the wrinkles that have happened since the initial announcement, I got to know what your initial gut response was when you when you saw the headlines on Twitter. What were what were your thoughts? How weird is it, Miles, that I didn't I couldn't care one way or the other, and it's because we're like two weeks removed from this seventy billion dollar Activision <laughs> deal, and I was like, oh, Bungie's okay, cool, okay, okay. And it was so weird. That's huge news. It didn't even blip my radar. I was like, oh, Sony bought them. Cool. And then, uh, then you know, you start generating some questions. All right, what does this mean for Destiny? What does this mean for exclusive content? And then you read the, the breakdowns. And I was really high on the deal. You know, first, first impressions, I didn't do much for me. And as I read about it, I was like, this looks like a great deal for Bungie and a great deal for gamers based on some of the specifics and, and and i'll wait till you ask more questions to go further there but it's how strange that two weeks removed 3.6 billion didn't feel like much and it didn't feel like it was a big <laughs> deal because of what just happened and it is a big deal and it's really great and there's a lot of cool things to talk about and ways to break it down and i'll let you you spearhead that conversation but it's to, I just didn't get phased because uh, I was so desensitized 70 billion for Activision. 3.6 for Bungie. Yeah, and it's <laughs> when we were talking about the Bethesda acquisition initially, we were flabbergasted by $7.5 billion. Like that amount, right. I remember seeing that number and being like, I can't even comprehend that much money. I can't wrap my mind around having that much money. And now, like mm -hmm. you said, Activision comes around, Microsoft is throwing around $69 billion, like it's like mm -hmm. it's nothing. And cash. then cash, cash. Yeah. And the then, cash deal. and then, yeah, this, this news comes around and it's, by comparison, a much smaller up amount of money. Um, right. That being said, it was, you know, there's been so much speculation about who might buy who and who's next on the acquisition target list, all that stuff. Um, sure. It was honestly a little surprising for me to see PlayStation announce this deal, considering that there had been talks with Xbox. Xbox, you know, Bungie reportedly had approached Xbox about being acquired. And mm -hmm. um, the talks were that Xbox said, no, that's too much money. We, we're not interested in that deal. So um, that to me was really interesting. So when I, when that kind of broke that Xbox wasn't interested, I knew that Bungie was kind of shopping around, but I didn't really expect PlayStation to be the one to swoop in and say, all right, let's do this. But the more I think about it, the more I look at the legacy of Bungie and it, it really started to make sense for me because Bungie is huge on PlayStation and PlayStation leveraged the launch of Bungie one and two with a bunch of exclusive content that, you know, kind of mm -hmm. solidified the player base on that platform. Mm -hmm. So we got to talk about the specifics of what this deal looks like, because when this news sure. broke, a lot of people were like, Oh, what Bungie? or uh, yeah. Destiny's exclusive to PlayStation. Now that's crazy. Mm -hmm. And you saw a lot of takes like that immediately explode. But as 
people read into it and figures like Jim Ryan came out, it became very clear that this was not a traditional video game acquisition. This wasn't mm -hmm. PlayStation buying Bungie and dictating where their games go. This was PlayStation buying Bungie and Bungie remaining as a multi-platform independent publisher under the PlayStation banner. So mm -hmm. they were very vocal about what exclusivity would look like. There are... Mm -hmm. On the Q&A on their website, they talk about their future games coming to rival consoles. They're not just saying multi-platform because people were speculating that multi-platform meant, okay, yeah, PlayStation and PC. No, they are straight mm -hmm. up saying rival consoles. Their future games mm -hmm. will come to rival consoles. So mm -hmm. was it shocking to you to kind of see PlayStation acquire this team and then learn that Bungie would make multi-platform games? I think at first, yes, it was a little bit surprising to know that they were willing to publish on other platforms. Uh, and then when, when you take a step back and let emotions kind of subside, you realize that Microsoft's been publishing on other platforms. You can look at uh, Ori showing up on Nintendo platforms. You see the MLB The Show deal going to Nintendo Switch. Uh, and you realize that this is indeed the future. The war is for content, not consoles. And um, I've seen that phrase show up in a number of different journalists' articles of late content, not consoles, and uh, it makes perfect sense. I was surprised by, I want to say it was Jez Gordon uh, from Windows um, that said uh, Xbox was approached by Bungie for purchasing and they said it's too expensive. That surprised me. Yeah. But I wonder if, if given the money they've been spending and the investment they're putting into Halo, transmedia would have been expensive. The idea of, okay, if, if the reason I think Sony wants Bungie is to to gain the nervous uh, the nerves the live service knowledge yes. that bungie brings as well as the ability to create bungie ip destiny content in the film or tv show industry and that is a war for content you see netflix and amazon and disney plus and and anyone else in that space competing with exclusive shows they want their their properties to be where i haven't canceled netflix because of the witcher right yeah i'm on yeah. disney Oof. plus because of uh book of boba no because of the mandalorian uh i'm on you know all of these different places for x or y shows right sony wants destiny in their pocket it makes them more uh, approachable and viable and it, it it's the the verbiage was really fascinating because if anybody under a rock has not figured out or realized this was not a response to activision this took this has been a six month plus deal that they've been working on and yeah this um, yeah the verbiage very specifically says they want to publish on other places because that's what's going to be best for their ip and we are within our lifetime miles approaching a time where hardware is not a thing right where it's a login and if see if these ever comes to playstation it and it might you're going to be logging into your xbox account if you want to play destiny uh with the latest content you might be on your PC logging into your PSN or on your Xbox series whatever logging into your PSN. That future is now on the table in a way that it wasn't a year ago. And for anyone that's that's uh, still in doubt of that, I recognize and appreciate the people in doubt. And you might th think it's weird to say, but last week, Microsoft bought Activision, Crash Bandicoot, and Spyro, who made their names on PlayStation, are now Xbox properties. Call of Duty is now an Xbox Game Studios or will be an Xbox Game Studios thing. Bethesda is Xbox Game Studios. Sony now owns the creators of Master Chief. And we're publishing MLB The Show on Nintendo platforms now. 
these things are the industry is shifting in a way that it has not shifted since Sega moved third party. And even then, that wasn't nearly as big as what we're seeing now. So we have to open our minds to the possibilities and recognize why Sony would want this. They, they're launching a Spartacus service that is meant to rival Game Pass. Uh, we don't know the details of it, but we know they want to have 10 live service games by 2026. Mm-hmm. Who better to bring in than the best-in-class shooting mechanics of, of Destiny, uh, among the best-in-class of, of live service infrastructure and delivery of content? You know, you have Fortnite up there as well. Um, storytelling and fan service and, and fan communication, I don't think are Bungie's strengths. They've got a lot of knowledge, and that knowledge is now going to be fed to Sony Game Studios all the while Bungie can make games they want to make and publish them where they want to publish. That seems like a good thing, I think. Yeah, it's it's really fascinating because there were so many people who said that PlayStation, if they ever bought somebody, you could guarantee that those games would 100% be exclusive to PlayStation. And this deal proves that that is not the case. This deal mm-hmm. proves that PlayStation is a lot more nimble and a lot more business savvy than a lot of people give them credit for. Because I've seen mm-hmm. so many people talk about, you know, PlayStation being out of touch, PlayStation unwilling to change their business model, PlayStation still relying entirely on console sales. And while initially that was a big portion of their business, like launching the PS5, having exclusives to sell the console, they understand what the future looks like and they understand mm-hmm. that they have to have games as a service titles to fill some of these gaps. They are going to mm-hmm. keep continuing to make their their God of Wars, their Horizon Forbidden West, those big, critically acclaimed experiences that people know and love, but they need revenue to fill those gaps. You can't spend mm-hmm. five years spending hundreds of millions of dollars making a game and having nothing to fill the gaps. So again, what this is about, and that people really downplay this acquisition because they say, what does PlayStation get here? What, what does PlayStation get with this deal? Um, not only do they get the, the the live service expertise of Bungie and you know the the the, the power of Destiny as like this kind mm-hmm. of brand association, but they get a constant stream of live service revenue from Destiny. Mm-hmm. So while they are working to build up their their games as service offerings and build and and basically develop games, they are getting a constant revenue stream, and that cannot be under undervalued right now. And that's mm-hmm. why you know deals like Minecraft, that is kind of Microsoft's like constant stream of revenue. They're constantly mm-hmm. getting money from that across all platforms. And so PlayStation understood that they needed something like that to fill the gaps. Uh, and Death and Bungie specifically, if you know their history, they have been part of somebody and then got their independence and part of somebody and got their independence. So for them to join another team, the stipulation had to be that they ha- maintain their independence. We want to mm-hmm. be a publisher who has the rights to publish multi-platform games under, and you heard it from Jim Ryan, unequivocally, there will be mm-hmm. no exceptions where they are forced to make a PlayStation exclusive. That's the reality. Mm-hmm. I'm still seeing people say that, oh yeah, down the road, it's going to change. I guarantee you there is legal wording in their contract that would forbid mm-hmm. that from ever happening. Not saying that mm-hmm. they wouldn't be inclined to maybe make a PlayStation exclusive at some point, but mm-hmm. they will never legally be forced to make a PlayStation exclusive. Um, right. And that's what's and really, really interesting about this whole deal is, is the fact that Bungie has this legacy of fighting for their independence and then they are acquired yet again. And there's nothing to say that Spartacus subscribers won't get special rewards the same way Game Pass subscribers get perks. Mm-hmm. There's nothing to say that that won't happen. Um, 
my frenemy, uh, Mr. Badbit. Who I hate that I'm giving. I just hate that I'm giving him. A Give shout us a out shout right out, now. yeah, Mr. Badbit with the bad, Mr. Chill. Bad Takes, as I call him. But he's just the worst. But he postulated the idea uh, on his show and and privately, the idea Sony is becoming more open minded to a lot of things. They're launching onto PC now and seeing the dividends paid. And so anyone that's still fighting that future, I think you're fighting in futility. Um, no chat room warrior need need die on that hill but he postulated the idea that sony might be willing to as xbox is showing a willingness to give people a taste on other platforms you play ori on your on your nintendo switch we've got more of that kind of stuff over on our platform if the last of us's multiplayer element ever launches on pc or even into a game pass like service oh yeah you you're suddenly playing a, a this is the example is, is the multiplayer of, of uncharted or last of us well we've got the uncharted's and the last of us over on our services and um i think that's not something in the near future but in the far future why wouldn't sony publish over on xbox to give people a taste and say hey we've got more over here we've seen streaming services experiment with that we've seen shows do, do that um i don't i don't know why we wouldn't see different types of, of deals set up for that purpose you know try our stuff check it out xbox is experimenting and has experimented with that um that, that's the neat part about content wars not console wars but content wars is the possibilities are suddenly far more open than they've ever been and i'm excited by that and bungie yeah. is a, a, a really cool studio to experiment with right another thing that occurs to me and i don't know if i'm speaking purely out of ignorance on this but in acquiring people that are publishing on other platforms you gain insight into their process right you gain insight like once they have activision's books and whatnot they can look at how activision and sony work together are there things sony does well that we need to emulate on the back end are there things they don't do well that people don't like on the back end I don't know if that's too in the weeds or too, you know, dartboard with with strings in between. Them. <laughs> but I think that's cool as they gain insight onto each other to learn more about customer engagement and such. Yeah, absolutely. They a lot of this is is basically understanding how to handle multi-platform releases because obviously Bungie and Destiny, they're multi-platform. Their updates come out at the same time across multiple platforms, and I think that experience and that knowledge will be huge as PlayStation unquestionably moves in that direction. I don't, you know, right. you you can have your opinion, you can you can have your belief, but to me, there's no world where we don't start seeing multi-platform PlayStation releases, whether it's on right. PlayStation and PC day and date, especially on the multiplayer side, I think that is uh, guaranteed. I don't, I don't see a world where that doesn't happen. I know some people are still fighting that, saying, yeah, PlayStation still is gonna have console exclusives first, and then it'll come to PC. PlayStation is trying to make money. PlayStation yeah. understands how to make money. They are putting their games on PC and making money. So they're going to continue to put their games on PC. And if you can basically get that word of mouth, as we've seen with Forza Horizon, Halo Infinite, these games that are huge, have huge player numbers, dominate headlines, mm -hmm. dominate the conversations, um, you can't ignore that. And PlayStation will not ignore that. You're seeing games that launch day and date into Game Pass chart on best-selling Steam. Yeah. Right. And that's that is proof positive that the system works. God of War lit Steam alive when it hit the PC space, you know, and oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's so much evidence to show that that it doesn't hurt your brand. It helps it. And I don't know why anyone would still say, no, we want you to isolate 
yourself onto. I think PS5s are around 15 million right now. No, we want to make a game just for 15 million people when you could make it for 15 million consoles and growing as well as the entire PC space. And we know, and we have learned, and I have, I have in a very amateur way learned that in developing for PC, you're developing scalable games where the demands of processing and such can scale in a much different way than I think I understood when I was just a console peasant and pleb. Yes. Right. Shout out I'm, to I'm, my fellow console heathens. That's right. And, and, um, you know, the question of, you know, will Xbox one hold that Xbox series games? There's an element of truth to that. Sure. But it's far less impactful than I thought. Um, I think, and I, I don't think we're in a future where Paul, I might be getting into the weeds here, but going on to PC seems to be a good thing for development. Yes. At least the, from the outside looking in. And, and again, Miles, I'm not a PC guy. I'm not a, an engineer. But on the outside looking in, it feels to me, it seems to me like it's a good thing. Yeah, you heard early on, one of the main reasons the Xbox 360 and even the original Xbox took off in the way they did when it comes to developers jumping on board is it was similar to PC. So it was e way easier for them to develop on Xbox than it was for PS2. Uh, PlayStation 2 and 3 historically have had very convoluted architectures, but the brand was so powerful that people just had to suck it up and do it. So as 360 became more popular, you started seeing a lot of these big third-party exclusives because it was just so much easier to develop for Xbox and then port that to PC because they were using essentially the same architecture. So it is really interesting to see kind of what the future looks like. And more and more developers are going to lean into stuff that is scalable. Scalability across mobile, across console, across PC is going to be more important than anything else. And if you have a ecosystem and a platform that's fosters that and and basically promotes that you're going to get the way more developers interested in working with you as opposed to saying like one of playstation's biggest problems is you had to develop exclusively for the playstation hardware first and then mm -hmm. figure out how the hell to get it anywhere else um one of the primary primary reasons bloodborne doesn't exist anywhere and bloodborne doesn't have any sort of enhancements is because it was made on PlayStation and Lord knows if they've lost the source code or what the situation is there, but um, people have been screaming for Bloodborne uh, on PC and screaming for Bloodborne enhancements and we don't have them. And it's probably because mm -hmm. of how that game was originally designed. And it was probably mm -hmm. not very easy to, you know, port that to other infrastructures. And it's probably gonna be a situation where they got to go into the back end and completely redo everything to be able to port that. And so right. PC is scalable. Using using a PC infrastructure is way easier, and developers appreciate you if if you're going to give that to them. Nice, nice. All right, gonna give a quick shout out to the 192 people rocking with us on this beautiful Saturday. If you are digging the show, hit the like button, share it out, all that great stuff. We got to talk about Sony overpaying because since this news. <laughs> And since it's come out that basically Microsoft was offered this deal for less, um, industry analysts like Michael Pachter have basically come out and said that Sony vastly overpaid out of desperation. So there's been a lot of kind of passionate takes about that. And we've seen people echo that on Twitter saying, I don't understand what Bungie gets here. So what was my question here? Sorry. Um, so how do comments Did like- Did Sony overpay? <laughs> yeah, how, how do comments like this sit with you? Do you think this was- a situation where they did overpay. Um, and we got to talk about the, the, what was it? 1.2 
or 1.6 billion that was set aside to keep employees. It was basically a- 1.2. Yeah, uh, an incentive to keep employees on board. So I wanna know your overall thoughts on that and whether or not Sony quote unquote overpaid and whether you think the 1.2 billion to keep them is, is weird. Uh, it will sound strange for me to, in the same breath, say that I am not an analyst uh, and so that I don't bring expertise to that. But in the same breath, I'm also going to say that Michael Pactor's opinions have not been relevant or helpful for years, right? Oh. He's been off the mark for a number of times and, and he has long since passed his relevancy. Um, He's inflammatory so put, for the sake of being inflammatory. Cor correct. No. And so I don't put <laughs> not stock Not to throw in shade, him. but... <laughs> right, exactly. And that's... He's trying to stay relevant by being inflammatory, um, but he's not relevant. And it, I recognize there's a hypocrisy there because I am not an analyst. I teach English to middle schoolers, <laughs> and I acknowledge that too, right? Um, I I don't know if the, the the idea of overpaying is something that Sony truly cares about in this this sense. PlayStation is making buku money right now. Sony is in debt. Yes. PlayStation is making bank right now and in like what i what i see happening in the future um if they're not purchased by apple or partnered up with with amazon at some point in the future um in all likelihood what's going to happen is that like satya nadella now has phil next to him at the table they're going to be pulling herman holst or jim ryan up next to the table and saying hey your brand's making us bank money yes what are we going to do with it you yeah. know and i don't think they overpaid for Bungie, because what they've done now is they've opened themselves up to the possibility of using an IP that has the potential to be bigger than Halo or bigger or as big as Star Wars. Perhaps that's inflammatory. I, I should up there, right? <laughs> yeah. Up there. Bungie, you know, like, like even if you don't play it, there's no denying how big Destiny is as like a brand. Right. And the potential to tell stories either big and in, in film fashion or silver screen style, think the Mandalorian uh sized where you're telling a smaller story within a much larger world there's a lot to be had and if you shop that around to different uh streaming distribution partners who are in their own content war there's a lot of money to be made there and i expect them to use that to its fullest much the way they're trying to figure out how to use spider-man mcu not mcu have its own connected universe and and some of it's working some of it's not but sony did a good job in acquiring a brand that has a lot of stories that can be told and told in a lot of ways. And we've seen Sony experiment with storytelling by way of shows before they had a really great show that did not catch because it was so such a narrow band, but a show called powers very well acted, oh, yeah. very well done. That, that was kind of this, this idea that they want a film and TV presence with some of their properties. Um, I would love to see that destiny show on a level and budget of the Mandalorian on a streaming service and that will only be good for sony um i don't think they overpaid i don't think they overpaid at all i think it's silly to think that you have a games of service that's going to be multi-platform and generate revenue in so many places pc console and otherwise um who knows what they do in the mobile market and before anyone cringes at that consider that fortnite and call of duty both have their own mobile you know like and they're good like they're legitimately good playable versions of those games um who knows what happens there i don't think they overpaid I think it's silly to suggest otherwise in a world where 70 billion, you know, paid for, for Activision. And you got a lot more with that, but you also got a lot more baggage with that. Microsoft is going to have to weed out so much stuff, so many things. And I will applaud Sony 10 times over for 
the clarity and the openness that they've discussed with Bungie. I will applaud them for how uh, well they've been supportive of the messaging and there's no doubt about certain things. And part of the reason I don't think we have that with Activision is a lot of the legal things going on. They don't, yeah, they don't even know what it looks like really. And and they can't say some things because of investigations in California, but um, I love the 1.2 billion dedicated to employee retention. I think more and more now it's becoming evident that you must treat companies or treat people within your company well, lest you get outed. I mean, Lord knows that Activision, EA, and Ubisoft are under the gun right now. And that is a good thing. We want people to be treated well and to make our games under conditions that are supportive. And and I think uh, they're, they're putting money's in the right spots. 3.6 doesn't sound like a lot two weeks after the 70 billion. Who no, knows? Com- but, by by like, comparison, it's, it's a relatively small amount and I'm kind of on the same page. I don't, I don't necessarily think that Sony inherently overpaid. I think the 1.2 billion is a very interesting kind of wrinkle in this, in the fact that I'm sure there are a lot of people within Bungie who do not want to be acquired by someone because we've seen it time and time again, where they were with Microsoft, they broke free. You, you hear the stories of them popping champagne when they got their independence, uh, Activision, they had a miserable experience with Activision and publishing Bungie or, or, publishing destiny through activision and like mm-hmm. ruined their plan and had to like use destiny two as the platform instead of destiny one. And when they broke free from activision, they also popped champagne and celebrated. So for them to so quickly go back to a, a big parent company, I have to imagine there's people within Bungie who are, who don't want this. And right. there's probably a lot of brass at Bungie who have to sell the people on this idea. And this retention fund is probably to show the people working at Bungie that this is good for them because this really isn't necessarily about established IP as, as, as it is like, obviously destiny mm-hmm. is huge. This is about the, the future potential of what they can do in the games as a service space. And so mm-hmm. if everyone leaves, if you buy Bungie and a bunch of people are like, I didn't sign up for this, this isn't what I wanted. And they leave mm-hmm. the value of that acquisition dwindles significantly because this is mm-hmm. about their expertise. This is about their experience. This is about their knowledge. So you need the people. You absolutely mm-hmm. need the people. This isn't just buying a publisher for the sake of IPs and brand power. That's not mm-hmm. primarily what this is for Sony. This is about leveraging that experience. And I think that's why the 1.2 billion to me um, isn't, isn't shocking, isn't surprising because you got to sweeten the pot for the people working there. And I guarantee there are people working at Bungie who are not hundred percent on board with, with this. Two more thoughts come to mind is that Sony significantly underpaid when they got Insomniac, right? It was like 223 oh, million. Yeah, by like, comparison, that is a steal. That is right. a steal. Right. And, and then the other part, and this sounds hostile, but it doesn't like to, to any, I call them keyboard warriors, but to the people that are investing themselves and making this an argument point between two companies and you know like the sony versus microsoft is the traditional like rah, rah, rah. not our problem you know <laughs> not our problem it's not something i need to worry about it's not something i need to stress about it sounds to me like nothing's going to be affecting me as a gamer i'm not a destiny player but it sounds like as a destiny player i wouldn't be impacted by this whether they overpaid or underpaid um it's a fun talking point but at the end of the day it doesn't matter it doesn't matter 
does not matter. Or I'm still going to get to play Destiny if I wanted to play that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 funny to have people talk about it. For me, it's I sit on the sidelines. I watch all these companies spend 70 billion, 3.6 billion, just dumping money on video games and I'm over here like trying to buy a house that isn't a million dollars. I'm out here yeah. on the streets just being like, "Dog, just if you could just give me like a million, I could get a, a mm-hmm. mediocre house." <laughs> like yeah. and that's the world that we live in. So some people get to throw around 70 billion and then the rest of us are out here just on the sign lines saying, oh, you overpaid. You overpaid for Bungie. 3.6 billion? I'm, I'm a, a teacher. At the beginning of a month, I eat good. The end of the month, we got some ramen boo. <laughs> because it, what's up? <laughs> Let's throw it. We'll throw an egg in there. We'll make it fancy. You know what I'm there saying? There we go. Yeah, yeah, there we go. You know what? Sprinkle some parsley on there. Ooh, there parsley. <laughs> they, oh, dang. You, oh, yeah. dang. You're getting wild with it. You've made some it's ramen a- in your day, boy yeah let me tell you all right so now that we've talked about you know a confirmed acquisition and the the big acquisition of last week we got to talk about what's next because you know yeah the speculation it it, it's it just continues to ramp and then it's it's amplified when you have folks like jeff Keeley and my good pal jeff grubb come out and say that yeah i've heard that there's going to be more acquisitions i'm hearing Mm -hmm. that there will be more acquisitions um, we don't know what that looks like, who it is, but basically these people are saying that folks like PlayStation and Xbox have billions of dollars that they need to spend in a certain period of time. I'm hearing figures thrown around that PlayStation needs to spend another $10 billion, and I'm hearing figures that Microsoft needs to spend another $50 billion. Um, and that's, that's a, again, we were just talking about money being thrown around. And imagine being in a position where you have to spend $50 billion. Like imagine that, like that sort of luxury. I can't speak for you, Miles, but I can speak for me in saying that the Xbox expansion pass is open to acquisition uh, for any number of things. If you want to acquire my podcast, I need to eat. So, so I've already thrown the gun. I already, I you know, I already told Xbox one billion. You can acquire me um, as as an individual. I don't know what that looks like. What you'll what you'll want, but one billion dollars, and that's it. You can you can put me under your Xbox banner. Whoever you're talking to, Miles, let me just talk to them as well. Um, for one million less than that, I'm available to you. Oh come on, don't don't you prices <laughs> right me, dude? Not I here. Don't you do it to me, man? Are, and then to further add to the the speculation and the the heat of all of this, it came out that Saudi Arabia, the country of Saudi Arabia, put a billion dollars in the Capcom and Nexon. So there's there's companies or there's People I out never heard that. Are you serious? Yes, there are people completely outside of the video game industry. Now countries are investing in in video game publishers because they see there's money to be made. So it's it's the wild west right now. There's so much money being thrown around and there's going to be more money thrown around. So what I want to do here, it's a little bit different and we're going to have some fun. So you and I yeah. are going to role play as executives within Xbox and we have carte blanche to spend $50 billion. Okay. So we are in the position to buy publishers. We have $50 billion. Who are you picking up the phone and calling? WB. 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 What's WB. your offer? That's- what do you, what do you offer in WB? You got 50 billion to spend. Let's, let's see how you allocate these funds. My opening bid is, is, is uh, 25 with an option to 30. Uh, depending on some things. Now, a lot of people will say the value in WB is IP, and they are correct. 
WB does not own most of their IP, but you get Mortal Kombat in there. We talked about a fighter deficit. We talked about transmedia, just possibilities with Mortal Kombat uh, to go with, but you also get the talent of Rocksteady, the talent of WB Montreal, the talent of oh, Telltale, not Telltale, I'm sorry, uh, Traveler's Tales, Traveler's Tales. You get a lot of talent of uh, making a, a myriad of games. So WB is who I want. And then I use that negotiation with Warner Brothers to say, hey, we can still keep putting Arkham or Batman or whatever multi-platform. That's fine. Think of, think of Bungie style right there. Bungie style. Um, the only caveat, of course, is that Game Pass subscribers only get the Batman Beyond skins. Easy. Right there. Ooh, ooh okay. It's mean, right? It's just mean. Is that little, that Game Pass Ultimate perk, the little Batman That's Beyond right. skin? Batman. Oh, okay. Batman Beyond belongs to everybody. I don't like when heroes go exclusive. But yeah, if WB is the one that I think uh, makes sense. It, it, am I going for my whole myriad here or just like the one publisher? Yeah, you got 50 billion. So okay. what, what else so, you got there? So that's the publisher that I'm talking to. Um, if if it's on the table, I want Crystal Dynamics as a studio. Is that on the table? Can I keep playing this game yeah. that way? Exit. Yeah. Okay. This. Yeah. Carte Blanche. This is a fantasy yeah. where you got fifty billion to spend. You can right. spend it however you want. So I'm rescuing Crystal Dynamics from Square Enix, who I think has done a really bad job over the last few years. Um, they basically belong to Sony anyway, with all the flirting they do, uh, and that's fine. But Crystal Dynamics is working closely with the initiative now. Um, they, we know they're frustrated with their lack of Square Enix support. On Avengers, they've, they've had a lot of problems there. I'm an I'm an Avengers player. Um, please don't hate me in the comments, but seven or eight of us really love that game. Yeah, there, and, there's a dozen of us out here, vocal yeah, Avengers there fans. Are dozens of us, and the game, the end game is good. The campaign is solid, and the middle in between is really not. Um, but that game has like six people working on it, and that we know that those people aren't happy because they're not being supported. Their team was nerfed. I'm going to rescue them from that, uh, whether they keep making Avengers or not, but I'm going to rescue Crystal Dynamics for sure. Uh, and from there, uh, I don't know, Miles. Like like WB and Crystal are the two that always come to my mind because WB brings a, not a lot of... T they bring a lot of talented studios. Those are the, the ones that I want to enter into the Xbox game studio realm. Where do you mm, think? Where am I yeah, missing? I'm missing something. You know, I've, I've had this power fantasy where, you know, Phil and I are sitting in a boardroom going over the numbers talking about who we're scooping up for Xbox Game Studios mm -hmm. here. Mm -hmm. um, the number, if I'm going for a big publisher, number one pick for me, and I've talked about this countless times, Capcom. Capcom is the person, if I'm Phil Spencer, I'm calling Capcom every single day. And I'm saying, hey, mm -hmm. what's up? What are you working on? What's new? Um, Capcom, I think we know their value is, it's under 10, 10 billion right now. Obviously, you mm -hmm. got you to gotta sweeten that pot a little bit to get them excited about it. I would offer Capcom 15 billion. 15 billion okay. gets Capcom under Xbox Game Studios banner. You get so many incredible IP. You get some amazingly talented development studios. And that would just, that would be such a humongous get for Xbox Game Pass. Having Monster mm -hmm. Hunter, Street Fighter, Devil May Cry, Mega Man, all these oh, legacy man. franchises in Xbox Game Pass. Ooh, mama, that is a, that's a, that's a move. That's a power play. I think. You know, if PlayStation, which game are you bringing back though? Which one are you bringing back? You bringing back Mega Man Legends? What are you bringing I'm back? I'm bringing back. To, to I'm Mega Man X reboot. Mega okay. Man X going back to basics, revisiting Mega Man X and making it okay. this badass. I, I would say I would 
if I'm doing my dream Mega Man X, it would be like a 3D modern take on a on a Metroidvania. Like that's okay, kind of more right. more fluid, more open world. You can kind of pick and choose when you tackle the enemies to get powers. But oof, yeah, that's 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 what I'm bringing back. Um, so like 15, 15 billion for for Capcom. Konami, I'm calling Konami to save them from themselves because Konami is just absolutely nosediving every single thing that they own. They they have no interest in making really good games right now. Um, there's talks that, you know, a Silent Hill that could be decent will get revealed, maybe two of them. So maybe behind the scenes, they're working on some stuff that makes them more exciting. But I know their value overall isn't very high. Um, I'm, now, I'm, Miles, you know, they're making NFTs now. So Konami's got money. <laughs> no, they what they have <laughs> is speculative money there. They, oh, what Konami right. has is maybe down the road, they will have money. That's the maybe. beauty of NFTs is it can be worth mm. 50 cents or it can be worth infinity dollars so that's that's the beauty and if you're an investor and you hear the number infinity let's go if i can make unlimited money on terrible animated castlevania gifts that people are buying for hundreds of dollars then come on dude easy why make video games when you can do nothing and make money that's what i want to know oh at this point like you made so much sense it's like what was what have i not been doing my whole life you know yeah, yeah, exactly. So I'm offering Konami, $8 billion, just way overpaying, way overpaying just to be like, please, pl- we just want to make a new Castlevania. We just want to make a new Silent Hill, and we want you to go. We want everyone involved in the upper level of Konami to be gone. Just please leave the video game industry. We don't need you here. You're not helping. And anyone, I don't care. If PlayStation buys it, cool. Anyone, literally anyone. Please, someone come in and buy Konami. For the love of God, they are so frustrating. As someone who grew up playing Turtles in Time, Silent Hill, Castlevania, all these amazing beloved Sunset Riders. Like Konami was so good for so long and those days are gone, long, long gone. So I would come in, try to rescue Konami from itself. Um, Are are we buying Sega? Are we buying (sighs) Sega? People want it. And sure, I'll, I'll throw it just for somebody else. Like I, for me, Sega's. I'll, I'll give Sega two billion. Oh, that's all I'm paying. Okay. If Sega's, if Sega wants more than two billion, then nah, that's gonna be a, okay. a no from me, dog. But I'll, okay. I'll, I'll what, offer them two billion. What about IOI? IO Interactive, yeah. Um, that is a that is an interesting one because of the kind of current relationship that that they have with Xbox. There's a lot of there's Project Dragon, which they're developing under Xbox Game Studios Publishing. Um, you know, there is a realist. There's a world where that happens in actuality. I don't know what that looks like in terms of what you would pay for that developer. Um, do you pay a couple billion? Do you pay one billion? I mean, we got to remember Minecraft. Minecraft was only a billion dollars. Mo- Mojang. They bought Mojang for a bill. That was a steal. That was an yeah. absolute bargain. So how much is IOI? IOI is not, I don't think, on the same level of Minecraft. They're not, but they do own the Hitman IP. 500 mil? The- 500 milli? Is that fair? No, we're, we're using Microsoft. Man. We're overpaying for everything. I okay, billion. One, one billion. Absolutely. Not, yeah, one, billion. one billion. Dedicate some stuff to player retention or to, you know, uh, developer retention, of course. Yeah. Uh, we, want, we want that, but... Yeah, absolutely. Bring them in. Bring them in. Make me make me some more Hitman games. Make me something like Hitman. 
Um, and transmedia, all of it. You know what I mean? I want a new Hitman show. Yeah, let's do it. To get Timothy Oliphant back in the mix. You know what I'm saying? He was good, right? <laughs> I'd love Timothy Oliphant. Just an American treasure, dude. God. Okay. Uh, and then outside of publishers, there is there is a developer that I am that I'm I'm swooning over, and people mm -hmm. probably already know, but it's it's from software. So I I know Phil's been putting in the legwork, building that relationship with From, flying out to Japan, seeing what they're working on. Um, and I'm saying, I'm talking to from and saying, what is your dream? What is your vision? And, um, you know, how do we be a part of that? Even if that means, even if it's like a bungee thing where previously, I think from software has been burned with exclusive deals and they have been burned with losing the rights to their IP. So one of the reasons that, uh, Sekiro was called Sekiro and not Tenchu was because it started as a Tenchu reboot. And that's why it's published through Activision. But the stipulation was that From Software owns the rights to the IP. So From Software wants to ensure ownership because of things like Demon Souls and Bloodborne. There's a lot of like rights issues that get lost. And I think they've been kind of burned on that. So even if From Software looks like a Destin or a Bungie type deal where they say sure. we are an independent publisher under your banner. I'm I'm still I'm making that deal because that studio has garnered such an incredible cult following and their games just continue to be critically acclaimed, sell well, and they just they're one of the most consistent developers in in the modern space right now and that that carries a lot of weight. So even if the games aren't to your cup of tea, cuz I know they're not for everyone, that still has so much weight when you're talking about gamer cred. And you're talking about mm -hmm. hardcore gamer cred from software has right. has that in spades. So that's kind of what my I don't would I, I'd give him a couple bill. Give him five billion. Yeah. Five billion. Give, yeah. give it to him uh, and, and see, you know, what it is they want as a studio. I think that you'd buy a lot of uh, player allegiance uh, if you were to bring him in. You'd certainly anger some people, but just tell them to put it on easy and they can do it. Um, I I really think that's a good one. And, I, and I'll tell you why I. I'm not good at these games. My friend of me, uh, Mr. Badbit, um, often he and I have a, a lot of talks about this. It's two shout outs in one show. It's too much. It's too I know much. it's too much. Ew, stop it. I don't stop like it. it. I feel gross, honestly. Yeah. Um I'm disappointed. He, I feel bad. I know. I regret it. Uh he and I often talk about like where those games stand in the pantheon of of greater gamerness. But I'm seeing an energy around from software due to Elden Ring that I've not seen around any of their other games. And they're all quality. All of their games are top tier. They've not made a bad game yet uh, at all. Their games may not appeal to everyone, but it seems like more and more people are interested in Elden Ring uh, in a way that really ups the value of that studio. And to your point, if you are looking at purchasing or, or partnering, um, it looks like Elden Ring is going to be the one that widens their spec the spectrum and their reach well beyond what demon souls dark souls yes um and any of the others ones have done uh and i'm there for it i'm there to watch it i'm not good enough to play it but i'm there to watch it and and i'm excited by it even though i'm just i'm not good enough at their games and that's their vision they can make the game they want and i am not required to purchase it nor go complain about it or anything else make the game you guys want to make uh, i'll play something else but it looks like that's the one that's going to bump them over the edge. So if you're going to buy from software miles, you need to do it before Elden Ring launches. Otherwise the cost goes up. Yeah. Cause again, people are saying that, you know, Elden Ring's niche from software games are niche. But if you look at how that game's trending with pre-orders, Ooh, mm -hmm. it's going to, it's going to, 
destroy a lot of RPG. We're talking about RPG specifically. That is going to outsell mm -hmm. a lot of RPG. It's going to mm -hmm. be a humongous game. I see Xbox rules in here saying Sekiro was a bad game. And Xbox game rules, year. I love you, about? but that is an awful take. That is one of the worst takes I've seen in a long time. <laughs> I'm not good at Sekiro. I tried. Like to say it's a, to say any game like that is a bad game when it's critically well received sells very well and receives all types of awards is short-sighted and that stinks you don't have to like it it may not be your cup of tea it may not be for you you may not be good at it any number of reasons why it doesn't click for you but you, when you see consumers and critics alike aligning on something it's a bit foolish to say that something is bad sekiro is one of the rare times i would give a, a game a 10 out of 10 sekiro is Mm. it's not my favorite from software game but it might be their best work yet it's, it, that was kind of like a culmination of a lot of things that they learned from previous titles sure. and oh so we're gonna have sure. we got one more big question i'm gonna ask you about acquisitions yeah. but right. before we do that i'm gonna give a quick shout out to the 212 amazing people joining us live if you are digging this show smash that like button share it out all that great stuff i'm gonna get to some super chats real quick here first and foremost we have kid smooth who says publisher sega or bandai otherwise by square enix western division and sony takes the japanese division otherwise xbox should target io interactive crystal dynamics techland and a sobo so kid smooth has got his uh acquisition wish list wish list all ready yeah it's ready to go Ooh, and then he comes in with another one that would ooh, this one gets me excited luke Xbox okay. buys Capcom and remakes Dead Rising on the RE engine. Oh, oh yeah. Ooh, that's, a, that's a pretty prospect. Dead Rising. Oh, the re Dead Rising is the reason I bought a 360. Like playing Dead Rising for the first time, that blew my mind. I was so mm. stoked on Dead Rising. And I've, it's still like one of, my, one of my favorite franchises and one that does not get the love and support it deserves. So to see Dead Rising come back in that RE engine, ooh. Ooh, he's got me Pretty feeling. Cool. He's got me feeling a certain way. And okay. speaking of your frenemy here, Mister Badbit says I'm buying divorce papers for Luke's mom. Owned. Hey, that's my mother. That's Jeez. my mom. Oh, Mister Badbit coming in and insulting your mother on a live stream. It's just, it, honestly, he's a monster. He's a monster, dude. I know what I just said about good games and critics and reception, but Bloodborne was pretty bad, right? Because like it would have a sequel if it was good, right? Oh, don't oh, don't don't open that can it's, of worms, favorite, dude. Bloodborne <laughs> Bloodborne stands are they're sensitive. They're very sensitive. Oh. They're not akin hope, to any sort of logic or reasoning. They just they're I don't know. It's scary. So let me let me rephrase. Let me say this. I hope Bloodborne two and three come out in the near future, and that Joe can't play them. Oh, yeah. That's what I OK, I like that. I agree. Let's let's make that the reality. Bloodborne 2 is going to be announced. Joe can't play it. That's right. Legally. That's right. That's the rest of my buy 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 from software. money. <laughs> it's in the wording is that Joe can't play. I it. will give Ever. them 15 billion to say Mr. Badbit cannot play Bloodborne 2 under any that's circumstances. Right. He will be imprisoned right. for 15 to 25 years. If he, But I don't know. Maybe that's too lenient. Maybe he'll take too that risk. Lenient. They'll say, he you know what? It. 15 years in jail? I'll play Bloodborne 2. You do it. Uh, super chat from you, Donnie here, who says, we know PlayStation has a cool 
approach where studios share tech and work together. We know they're going to do this with Bungie. When will Microsoft do this? You just mentioned Sea of Thieves. They could help 343. Fun fact, uh, Xbox does have something like this. They have a, a huddle where Matt Booty basically brings all of the teams together and they show prototype builds of what they're working on. And so, yeah, they can absolutely share tech. That is a huge part of their their future of Xbox Game Studios. And talking to people at Rare about this, that they everyone loves those, those meetings. Obviously, COVID has kind of thrown a wrench in it, but it was very much about bringing these teams together to see what they're working on, pull ideas from each other. So, yes, that is something that Xbox does do, and you can expect that. Um, super chat from Harjeet Chani. Oh, Hashtag put Elden Ring in Game Pass. Would that help that franchise? I think it would. See, that's, see, yes. It's an interesting thing where Elden Ring does not need quote unquote Game Pass um, because the game will sell like gangbusters regardless. Um, but what's interesting is there is a huge number of people who probably would never buy it. Regardless, mm -hmm. ignoring all the hype, maybe they would love it, but they would never buy it. And that opens that door to them where these people who, you know, weren't going to buy it can check it out and maybe fall in love with from software. So it doesn't really need it. It would be one of those just marketing only deals where they are literally just dumping a bunch of money in to say, we have a really cool game launching day and date in Xbox game pass. Um, I, I don't, again, like it would be humongous. It would be the biggest thing that Xbox game pass has ever done, but I don't know. I don't know if it will happen. I don't know if it needs to happen. I don't know if there's any interest from, from software side. Um, I have a I have a hard time believing that people like Phil and Xbox haven't reached out to say, hey, what's up? How you doing? Yeah. How's that February 25th looking, bro? You need a little uh need a little engagement boost? What's mm -hmm. what's up? So again, like yeah, if I still have leftover, if I still have leftover money from my 50 billion, mm-hmm. I'm throwing 500 milli their way for that day Ooh, one Xbox okay. Game Pass get just for the hype. Go. That's all it is. That's that's all that is, is just publicity for Xbox Game Pass that says, hey, you can expect us to get some of the biggest games ever released day, day and date. And even if not everyone plays it, even if, you know, you're giving from software more than they make on sales of the game, you still get mm -hmm. to flex that weight. And I think there's some value there. But well, again, they did that with Outriders last year, and you can say like the reception of Outriders after the fact but probably I, went down a bit. I would say that Outriders big. had way less hype than Elden Ring. Like, way right, but what I mean to say is it was a statement to Game Pass subscribers. Hey, this is a big game for this window of time. You're getting it day and date. They did that with MLB and Outriders in that window, remember? That's what I was... True, yeah, ab absolutely. And that, again, that it was huge for the game got more people playing i see some folks in the chat who are saying that they're yeah not that interested in, in elden ring but if it came to xbox game pass they would give it a shot and i think that would be huge because there's dark souls as a franchise has, is forever tainted as much as i love dark souls for what it is what it does so much of the conversation has become about the difficulty that for a huge number of people, they associate it with difficulty. And I have people tell me all the time, I've never played one because I don't like hard video games or I've never played mm -hmm. one because people tell me it's hard and things like that. And that's like the difficulty aside, you're ignoring so many other incredible elements about this game, that this 
company who makes some of the best video, best modern video game worlds, I think is really where From Software needs more credit than they get is when it comes to creating a tone and a feeling and a place. There's There are few teams better than From Software and that with Dark Souls specifically gets completely overshadowed by, oh, it's hard though. And right again, it is it is hard. I'm not trying to downplay and say, oh, it's easy because I see people say that it's easy. And it's like, shut, shut up, stop. It's it's not that it's easy and it's not that it's necessarily super hard. It's just that the memes and the the people who champion Dark Souls simply because it was hard have kind of forever damaged that brand when it comes to widespread appeal. So I'm excited right. because Elden Ring seems like a fresh start. Like you can mm -hmm. you can obviously if you like Dark Souls, you're going to like Elden Ring. But mm -hmm. it doesn't have that Dark Souls weight kind of pulling it down. Sure. Good point. Good point. So, uh, what? Do, okay, we're going to talk about just a few quick things here because we're, we're coming towards the end. Um, mm -hmm. Luke, did you hear that Grand yeah. Theft Auto 6 is confirmed again? <laughs> I did see that. And I, I, I felt bad after I, I posted a snarky, like, the doubt meme from... Uh, la noir i posted like four pictures of that doubt meme and it's like all right first of all obviously it's coming but like what does that mean in in rockstar time i don't know i don't know they once told me i was getting expansions to the campaign of grand theft auto and it took a decade i was like ah i don't know but i think it's cool like neat awesome grand theft auto is a money printer and and cheers to them and rockstar does support their games pretty darn well so cool Cool. Yeah, it was one of those things where it kind of took off on on social media this week. And I was mm. in the camp of people who were like, didn't we already know this? Like, this isn't this isn't new. I thought that. too. But they that tried to, like, come out and make it seem like it was a big announcement of, of sorts. And it was it was kind of baffling. But what I wanted to talk about with that kind of just quick aside here is franchises now like Grand Theft Auto, The Elder Scrolls, Fallout. Are we in the in the timeline where we only get one a decade? Is that the is that the future of these big massive franchises now? Because when we look at Grand Theft Auto, it's coming up on ten years. When we look mm -hmm. at Elder Scrolls, it's been over ten years. Is mm -hmm. is that is that the world we live in now? I think it might be if you're considering the scope of what people want that those games to be versus what it takes to make those games it might be that you get one of those a decade on that level and i mean even halo jumped onto this this that's true right, right, absolutely the engine and we're gonna build and work within that and within that only and we're gonna tell you stories within this game uh, i think you are kind of getting to that phase for the majority of them i mean dying light 2 they're gonna have five years of content like that was what they said. And that's a smaller scale thing. But if they're saying and committing to five years, that's half the decade for a smaller game by a double A top tier double A studio um, or, or a low tier triple A, depending. I don't I mean, I don't know. That's a moniker, but whatever. Yeah. Reality is, yeah, I think you are getting to the one of those a decade and it's a delivery platform. And I don't think that's a bad thing. Yeah, Miles. I was going to ask what, what your kind of take on this was, because I've seen a lot of people say that. Microsoft needs to shift to make sure that Fallout comes sooner and Elder Scrolls comes sooner and that the people and people don't want to wait 10 years. But it seems like Skyrim still sells. 
seems like Skyrim still, there's data that shows it's one of the most played games like year over year. So do we need more than one Skyrim a decade or we're not? I think Skyrim sells because it's moddable. And I think that's what people enjoy. I think the same can be said about GTA and people enjoy the mods and playing around with it. Um, but the people that were on, want people that want timelines pushed up, uh, it seems like in cases of like Fallout, they had Fallout 76, which was a neat experiment, but everything seems to be Fallout 76 in the Fallout official channels. Fallout 4 was just more Fallout 3 with a, a slightly up-resed visual set. And so if you're going to make a, and redesign and, and really reinvigorate your franchise, it's going to be one of those tentpole once a decade games. If you're not going to redesign anything, then it's going to be a much shorter development cycle. But the, what made these games so special was how engaging they were to their audiences and how they made their audiences feel like they were within that world. We're at a point now where the technology demands so much of the creator to let the user feel like they are in that world mm -hmm. that it's going to take a long time to make it. And so you make a platform and use the platform to deliver um, what it is you're bringing. I mean, I expect we're going to get some Halo Infinite news in a few months at E3 about the next story DLC. And that's going to be Halo Infinite colon this or Halo, Halo, Halo Infinite colon, colon the return yeah yeah i almost spoiled what i know one of the colons is that they they uh whatever they got the patent not the patent for yeah there is, there is yeah if you yeah. look there is a patent for probably what the first one dlc is. is yeah exactly and so i stopped i paused myself and then stuttered my way through it but uh yeah it, yes a very long way to answer yes 10 years that's what's happening yes yeah it's i'm a little torn like i guess it's not fundamentally bad yeah. We're, we're in a world where people can iterate, they can add content. And we're, we're again, we talk about the lizard brain and what people want. I think it's more valuable for some people to have a steady stream of content over years and years, as opposed mm -hmm. to that one big drop every, I don't know, two, three years. So right. again, I guess I'm not really that upset as long as when it does hit, when the new Elder Scrolls hits, when the new Fallout hits, that it does what Fallout 3 did for me like playing Fallout 3 for the first time, like having that experience that was so unlike anything I'd ever played that if they can do that, I'll, I'll wait 10 years. Like I'll wait 10 mm -hmm. years. I'll be, you know, 50 years old by the time Fallout 5 comes out. But if it hits, I'll be there. I'll be there day one because I was in the camp that Fallout 4 wasn't what I wanted. Fallout 4 for me was, I didn't really necessarily want just more Fallout 3 because Fallout 3 is one of my favorite games of all time. Um, mm -hmm. but when fallout four hit, it was not a magical feeling for me. I played for eh, a good dozen hours and just moved on because it felt right. so similar. So, so mm -hmm. similar. And sure. again, I'm, I'm excited about Bethesda experimenting with new IPs like Starfield, and I'm excited for them experimenting with new engines for the elder Scrolls six and probably fallout five. So it will take a long time. And Bethesda Softworks as, is only one studio on that web. And I think they're probably going to be the one studio that is doing those big mainline entries. Um, and I think that means we're, we're waiting because we have to wait. By the time we get Fallout 5, we're going to have to wait for Starfield. And we're going to have to wait for Elder Scrolls 6. And then yeah. we're getting Fallout 5. So we got, some, we got some waiting to do. Big time. Big time. And then final question. Are you buying Grand Theft Auto 5 for the fifth time on March 14th? No, 
I haven't bought that game in a while. I really loved playing. I played that on my PS3. And I think again on my PS4. But when I switched to Xbox One around the Series S, I haven't touched Grand Theft Auto since then. Um, I've played that game and I don't enjoy... That's not one I like going back to. That's not a well I enjoy returning to, whereas there are other games I'd rather play. So I'm I'm done with Call with Call of Duty with uh, Grand Theft Auto for a good while. Yeah, they got me the first time because I bought it on 360. Obviously, mm. it was exciting. New Grand Theft Auto is always exciting. Got it on 360, and then when I got my Xbox One, it was one of the earlier releases with the the, the Xbox One version of Grand Theft Auto. Mm. I was like, ooh, I want to try the shiny new Grand Theft Auto. And then I bought it and played it for like five hours, and I was like, man, I should not have spent sixty dollars on that. Um, I get the people love it. Um, I'm not going to be paying for it yet again. If they gave mm-hmm. me some free enhancements, I would absolutely boot it up for half an hour and say, oh, cool, and then move on with my life. But um, it's just funny to me that like Skyrim, Grand Theft Auto just continues, continues to grow and continues to be uh, resold to us for $60. Mm-hmm. The only old game I'm ready for the, the next gen or current gen port of is uh, Witcher and Cyberpunk. Those are the only two. Oh, I want to yeah. see what they bring to the table. Will Cyberpunk be playable in a state that everyone can enjoy it? And Witcher 3, I'm, I'm on my second. I played it years ago. I'm playing it again now, and it's so good. I, I'd love to see what those next-gen ports look like, but CD Projekt Red certainly lost my faith, and I think of CD Projekt Red's stuff in the same vein that I think of Grand Theft Auto, so we'll see. Yeah, um, I tried The Witcher 3 for the first time on Xbox One X, and mm-hmm. I, I enjoyed it. I had some fun. Um, but it was around the time where we were getting used to like 60 FPS. We were coming up on the Series mm-hmm. X. Like I was really late to try Witcher 3. Sure. Um, so I put it down. I revisited it on the Series X when that dropped and it plays so much mm-hmm. better. Um, but then I, as soon as I started playing it on the Series X, I heard that they were doing a full next gen version of Witcher right. 3. And I was like, well, I'll just put it down and wait for that. So eventually mm-hmm. at some point down the road, I'm hoping to finish the Witcher 3. We'll see. Mm-hmm. I did beat Cyberpunk. I beat that at launch on the Series X. Um, I will revisit Cyberpunk when that patch hits because as much as I you know, didn't have a huge number of problems with Cyberpunk in terms of what the game was, um, it was rough. It was a rough launch. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a lot of fun because I like glitches that are funny that don't break the game. So when sure. when NPCs were T-posing through cars and when mm-hmm. I would come into a, a room full of 20, 30 people and they would all be T-posing for a couple seconds, that was funny mm-hmm. to me. I, I had a good laugh. It didn't break my immersion because I was I was in it for the I was just in it for the ride. For me, it was just a sure. dumb, dumb popcorn video game that I was just enjoying for what it was. Um, if you were someone who wanted the the heavy story beats, you wanted the narrative to hit. Stuff like that probably had an impact, I think. Sure, sure. But um, I want I want the side by side of the next gen version with the VCR Xbox One. I want those side by sides. I want to see it. Yeah, That's I what want I'm to excited see for. it. Oh, oh, <laughs> Potato Punk 2077, baby. There you go. Uh, so I'll give it another chance. Uh, and games like Cyberpunk and Battlefield kind of showcase that. If the game needs more time, please give it more time. It's it's re- you're you're only hurting yourself if you put it out in mm-hmm. a state that people are mad about because people mm-hmm. don't forget. There are people yeah. to this day who still say, "I am never playing Cyberpunk. I don't care what the next gen version looks like because of how mm-hmm. bad that launch was." So, 
You know, I get that people are impatient and you want to get the game out and you want to make some money, but come on now. Come on yeah. now. I agree. All right, Luke, we are, we're at two hours, so we are going to wrap this thing up. Huge shout out all to right. everyone who tuned in, who hung out with us. Appreciate you guys. Luke, for all the people who joined us today, where can they get a hold of you? Well, it was an honor to join you, Miles, and I appreciate you uh, inviting me to be on. You're one of my favorite people around, and so I appreciate you. And to any listener who enjoyed my takes or my thoughts, uh, this is pretty much how I talk over on the Xbox Expansion Pass. Uh, and XEP is on all your podcast services. Uh, it's also on YouTube. If you want the, the audio with the static image, it's there. And you can subscribe and like and share and support your creators. It's, it means a lot to us when you guys do those things, those ratings. Um, but yeah, I would love for anyone to check out the Xbox Expansion Pass. And you can find me on Twitter at InsipidGhost. Uh, and it would mean the world to know that Miles helped you connect to me. That's a really cool feeling. So, yeah. Luke, love having you on. Again, one, one of my favorite dudes to sit down and talk with. It's been a little while. I'm glad we could power through some of the, uh, the earlier technical difficulties. Yeah. Slam the show out. Um, and again, huge shout out to everyone's tuning in live and to the people listening after the fact on audio services. If you dug the show, rate it, follow it, all that good stuff. And we will be back next week with Xbox Chatterdays. Have an excellent weekend, everybody.